friends, uh, we are beginning this evening a new series of studies uh, on the life of the Apostle Paul and looking at uh, his, some of his writings and also his labors and uh, the character of the man. Uh, we'll be uh, touching on uh, some of these things uh, in the next uh, few weeks. It really uh, is a wonderful uh, subject uh, to be studying and there's so much uh, for us as believers uh, to learn from the, uh, this man's life. And straight away, without uh, any doubt, we can say that he was a great man. We have no uh, hesitation in saying that St. Paul really was one of the most influential people who has ever lived. In fact, we could say, even go even further and say that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps he was another, the important, most important man who has ever lived, whose influence was very widespread. Yet, yet, friends, he only wrote 13, possibly 14, if you include Hebrews, uh, letters. And uh, through these uh, letters, uh, he has impacted, well, not just thousands, but millions and millions of people ever uh, since they, they were written. And they still continue to influence. Some people lose their influence after a time, after a few years. It uh, becomes history and confined to history. Not Paul, not his writings. They're still affecting millions of people. And when you read them, well, they're so valuable. They're so precious to us because they throw a light on the work of Christ in a way that uh, nothing else does. We learn so much more about the meaning of the cross. We learn so much more about righteousness uh, through faith and the righteousness of Christ and uh, so, so many other things as we ponder uh, his uh, writings. Even when we read the Old Testament, somebody has said, we are reading them through Paul's spectacles. And that's entirely uh, true. His words are pondered every day by millions of souls, and preachers are taking up his words to use as their text uh, every week uh, all around the globe, expounding uh, his, uh, his thoughts. Moses was a great man. And we've been thinking about the genius of Moses in, on Sunday mornings and also in our studies here in Exodus. Paul was a similar uh, in, uh, person, a great man uh, in the New Testament. But not only for Christians not only for those uh, who are uh, believers like you and I, but further afield his impact reaches. Through, uh, uh, through his writings, uh, although we know, of course, that he was inspired by God and is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote, but uh, through his writings we may say uh, that uh, they have shaped uh, the world in so many different ways. His writings have rebuked that the sinful world have exposed a sin uh, in the world, have set the standards uh, that must be reached by the church for holiness and ho uh, holy living, have set forth in a most comprehensive way the way of salvation and a true way how people may come to know Christ and the doctrines of faith. Well, uh, they're clearly outlined in his letters. His words and his letters in the New Testament, uh, the, well, the length of it, they do not compare very much, is it? It's very short, uh, his letters. 
compared to some of the volumes and volumes uh, that are written uh, by some, uh, what do you call it, philosophers and uh, clever people. They go through many volumes, but his words, just a few words, and yet have been studied and loved and hated even by people and debated, and they've been foundational as well for so many, and it's been an inspiration, isn't it, for so many of us. How many times have you read and reread and always found it a blessing to read uh, his letters? No other writer, you could say, has ever had such an impact upon people as the Apostle Paul. Well, you know the apostle, the word apostle, it means a sent one. The general meaning is a messenger. But in the New Testament, it is often used in a, a very technical sense as to refer to one who has been with the Lord Jesus, the one who has seen the resurrected uh, Savior, the resurrected Lord. And Paul uh, spoke of himself as uh, being one born out of due time. He was, we could say, the last of the apostles. And perhaps even we could say he was the chiefest of them all, even outshining the apostle Peter, great as he was. Well, he was the apostle Paul. Uh, we could say he was the great missionary of the early church, the founder of numerous churches, a church planter, uh, and uh, one uh, that uh, ordered them and structured them according to the New Testament pattern uh, given to him by the Holy Spirit. He was a prototype pastor so that uh, ministers uh, could see and learn uh, from his example what great care he had for the, the people who were under his care. He said to the Corinthians, you have many instructors, but you don't have many fathers in the faith. And he had brought them to birth and he felt for them uh, as a spiritual father. He was often in prayer for them, laboring over them. All the churches that he planted were ever on his prayer list. He was praying uh, much for them. His discipline, life, his self-sacrificing, he would do anything for the cause of Christ and the kingdom of Christ. There was nothing that this prototype pastor wouldn't do. What an example uh, for those uh, in the ministry. He was a great martyr, of course, and uh, not the first one. The first one uh, was uh, Stephen, as we know, and we'll mention him a bit later. But certainly the one who suffered the most was the Apostle Paul. And the one who suffered the longest was the Apostle Paul. No one suffered so often. Almost in every city, uh, the Holy Spirit said to him, isn't it? Well, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be persecutions uh, awaiting you. Who would want to be a preacher? It's such a calling, knowing that wherever you go, you're going to face uh, great uh, 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 trouble. We want success. We want reception. Well, he had that as well. God gave it to him, but in the midst of suffering, as a martyr, an ongoing martyr, you could say, in stripes above measure, in pris prisons more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews, Five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren 
And on it goes in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often in cold and nakedness. Such was the life of the Apostle Paul. And we know that at the, at the end, uh, he is, uh, when he, uh, when he uh, came, t- uh, when he died, uh, he, he died uh, in a Roman prison during his second imprisonment and was more likely uh, beheaded uh, during the time when Nero was Caesar. So this is the man, the man of God that we are looking at, uh, the Apostle Paul. So this evening I just want to do uh, a little bit of uh, background study we're looking at his uh, pre-conversion experience. We don't want to just jump in uh, to his, from his conversion and pick it up there because it's important to see the history of the man, how God prepared the man even in his pre-conversion days. And there was so much happening. You could look at the environment that he grew up in, and that is also a telling of God's providential working. But we're going to concentrate uh, more on Paul and his upbringing. What made Paul the great man that he was? No doubt his conversion was the big factor, but we mustn't discount uh, his life before conversion and that environment and family, the religious life that he was exposed to. All of these were playing a part in forming uh, the apostle to be what God would eventually want him to be and had planned for him to be and for his great life's work. Now, sometimes we as believers, we may make a wrong conclusion about our past lives. And we may say, well, you know, it it was the days of our darkness, the days of our ignorance, the days when I was in Satan's kingdom, and just, you know, brush off everything that happened to us at that particular time. But we mustn't think like that. Because even in our unconverted days, God may, God may be well be preparing you and I for the work that would be given to us after our conversion. And I'm sure when you look back now, and you look back at your previous life, you could draw lessons. Oh, that happened to me. That's been so helpful. That's been so useful uh, to me in, in these days in my service for the Lord. And so we mustn't discount uh, these things, but God's providence in a marvelous and wise way, uh, works to prepare us for the work he has uh, for us. So Saul, he was initially known as Saul uh, of Tarsus, a Jew, and also a a Roman citizen at the same time. Saul was his Hebrew name. Uh, Paul was his uh, Roman name. And he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And Saul, as you know, was the first uh, king of Israel, uh, we often think of King Saul in a very, very negative way, but perhaps uh, the Jews at the time uh, thought of him, though they knew of his misdemeanors, perhaps they also thought of him in a somewhat better light uh, than we do, because they, they called him, uh, they called their children uh, Saul. We don't know exactly when he was born. Uh, some people say AD 2, but that's just speculation. We are not really sure, but it's said that quite, it's quite likely that he would be about the same age as our Lord. So it was very much about the same time uh, that he was born, that, uh, that the Lord was born, that uh, Paul, Saul was born. This young man, sorry, uh, 
at the stoning of Stephen, uh, which is two to three years after the crucifixion of Christ, uh, Paul, uh, remember how those who had stoned Stephen, they laid their clothes at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. So he was there, he, he was a, a young man. But you go fast forward uh, to the book of Philemon, which he wrote while he was in prison in uh, AD 62. And there he refers to himself as an aged Paul the aged. So he must have been, people think, at least uh, 60 at that time. So quite likely he's about the same age, probably younger uh, than our Savior. So just as the Savior, as a young lad, uh, played in the streets of Nazareth, so also Saul would have played on the streets of Tarsus. Don't know what his toys were, but uh, he would have been an active, curious boy, one would imagine, uh, interested in everything that was happening, possibly nature as well, but other things, the city life especially. But by conversion, this uh, one, this uh, Saul, will become the greatest servant of the other, of the Lord Jesus Christ, after being his most cruel uh, persecutor. So Saul, he was brought up in Tarsus. Let me say a little bit about Tarsus. Uh, it was a great city. Uh, it was in uh, the region of Cilicia, a uh, Gentile city. It was no mean city in Paul's own words. It was a, a great city in so many ways. It had so much uh, going for it, a commercial hub, but also it was distinguished for the culture of Greek and Greek literature and uh, philosophy. A rival uh, to the great intellectual schools based in Alexandria and also in Athens. And uh, it had its own uh, university. So it, Paul was brought up in an intellectual environment and exposed to a lot of uh, uh, the thoughts of the day. Uh, Tarsus was a free city of Rome, uh, which meant it had its own laws. It wasn't subject to Rome's laws. It didn't pay any tribute, any taxes uh, to Rome. Uh, it had no Roman governor. Had, uh, it, was, it was free in this way. So, and it was a chief uh, city in Cilicia, a, a commercial city. It was thriving with people, merchants, sailors, where traders were all coming and going. And as Saul grew up uh, in this environment, well, he would observe and see uh, what was happening. He would observe the rich and the poor and the way that the city was governed and the way that trade happened. He would have been seeing all these things, the games, the sports that were taking place uh, in the city, the social activities, the political schemes, the kindness and the cruelty of society around him. So his background, friends, was not uh, the obscure village uh, behind the plow, a farming place, but the teeming city of uh, Tarsus. That's why uh, he always uh, went in on his missionary journeys. He always homed in on the cities uh, to found uh, churches. That was his strategy for planting churches the big cities where the masses of the people were so that he could get out the, the Christian gospel message to as many as possible and that they could then take out the, the message far and wide to, to other places. He was a city dweller and he knew the great needs of uh, people and, uh, in the city and the terrible temptations and also uh, the wickedness 
that was found uh, there. So he knew how to address these, these things. He rubbed shoulders there in Tarsus with the rich and the poor. He was at ease with the great, and he was able also to mix with the slaves, uh, the many slaves who would be there. All of this preparing him to stand before kings in the future and also to condescend to be with slaves and to treat them with great kindness. Oh, can you see, friends, God's uh, providence uh, working in this way. Our Savior, well, he had a different environment, didn't he? He had a country environment. He was brought up in an obscure village, uh, Nazareth, a uh, very small town, an uh, obscure town. town was looked down upon. Uh, but uh, that was his background, and our, our Lord's teaching sort of reflects his own upbringing because he speaks about uh, the farm, and he speaks about the laborer, and he speaks about the vineyard, and he, his parables about the sowing and reaping and the weather and flowers, all these things you see in uh, Christ's uh, ministry, all perfect and wonderful, uh, interesting pictures of man's need and the way of salvation. Paul, on the other hand, is reserved for the spread of the church. He's the man of the soldier. He knows the, the soldier. He's the man of the great slave, uh, the great slave populations, the business communities, the athlete. You know his words, and you fight the good fight of faith, you know, and, uh, and so on, uh, you know, uh, which, he, which he says, the athlete, Run the, run the race. I so run that I may uh, obtain, here he says. Uh, the, the gladiator fighting the beast. The building work going on around him of the temples and the houses. All of this uh, he's, he's acquainted with. He knows in a good detail. And all of it is equipping him to speak to the Gentile world and to call them uh, to the Savior. Unlike the Jews in Palestine, uh, Saul grew up among uh, idol worshippers. He saw the filth of uh, idolatry and uh, I, of, of the society in which he was. The de it's demon worship, the, the prostitution that often went uh, together with idolatry and the temple worship. He saw family breakdowns. He saw uh, homosexuality and all sorts of human abuse. He saw the dregs of society, even among the rich. And when uh, he himself was converted, he saw at once, this is their need. And he knew how to address their needs and to meet their needs and to speak uh, to people, to be all things to all men. You could say it, it helped him in this area. His family, let's speak a little bit about his family, uh, was uh, being Jewish, but they were also what we call uh, Hellenists. So Hellenist is were those Jews who, who left Palestine and they went to, uh, they were part of the diaspora, and they went to, they were Greek-speaking uh, Greek Jews, basically, who were living abroad, away from uh, Palestine. You remember in Acts chapter 6, uh, there was a division between the, Hellen the Grecians, which are the Hellenists, and the Jews, the Hebrews, uh, because the Grecian widows were not receiving uh, food and so on. They were not being supported. They were being neglected. Well, that sort of conflict is always, was, always, was there at that time. There's two kinds of, of Jews. Those Aramaic-speaking Jews who belonged in Palestine 
and uh, considered themselves above the Hellenistic Jews, the Jews who lived outside of, uh, of uh, Palestine and spoke uh, Greek. Uh, so there's a little bit of this uh, conflict. But Paul himself, though he was a Hellenist, though he belonged to a family that was a Greek-speaking, uh, uh, sorry, they, they, they would have spoken Aramaic at home, but uh, outside they would have spoken Greek. Though he was in that kind of an environment, in a foreign city, his family were very particular and very religious, and you could say that they were very uh, similar to the Jews who were in Palestine. And Paul says, I was a Hebrew, or I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That's what he's saying. I'm just as much a Hebrew as those who are Aramaic Jews, those who are living in Palestine. So they were, the family was a very strict Orthodox Jewish persuasion. And yet at the same time, they are heavily influenced by the Greek-speaking world and culture. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, well, he must have been uh, heavily read in the writings of the Greeks, and he quotes a number of them in his preaching and teaching, uh, the most famous uh, being on Mars Hill in Athens when he quoted uh, from the Greek poet Aratus in two, who lived in 270 BC and said, for we also are his offspring, meaning that uh, we all are dependent also on God for life and for being. Now, most of the Hellenist Jews, uh, as I said, would have been considered far from being Orthodox Jews by the Aramaic-speaking Jews in Palestine. Uh, but uh, some of them, like Saul, were able to con combine the strict Jewish way of life and at the same time learn from the Greek culture and appreciate Greek life and culture. Uh, Gamaliel, uh, Gamaliel himself, that great master teacher of Israel who, who Paul would, Saul would sit under in due time, he himself, though he was teaching in Jerusalem, he was not prejudiced against learning from the Greeks. Uh, the, so, uh, the, the arts and the language uh, was encouraged by him. And uh, this, this also uh, affected the apostle Paul. So in, in other words, we could say that in the providence of God, uh, Paul is uh, most, the most perfectly placed man of his age to reach the Gentiles uh, with the gospel. He has, and, uh, he has the, the knowledge of Greek, uh, which is able, he's able, through which he is able to communicate freely and easily, and the culture, he knows. He knows how to become a Greek, as it were, to win the Greeks. He's, God has prepared him. On two occasions, uh, we read of him uh, mentioning that he is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So, uh, above all, uh, he was a Jew first and fo foremost. He was very proud of it. He was very proud uh, to, of his uh, Jewishness. Uh, he lived in a very strict uh, Hebrew setting. In Acts 26 and verse 5, he refers to this when he says that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. That means he was scrupulous in his keeping of the law. Exact, meticulous, tied, mint, and cumin, and so on. He was very particular, just like the Pharisees were in Palestine. In uh, 
Acts 23 and verse 6, uh, he refers to himself as the son of a Pharisee. And it appears that uh, his family, his father, was also a strict Jew. And then in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 3, he speaks about uh, having served God from my forefathers. So it seems like a few generations back, uh, this Pharisaism uh, has come down to him, uh, even from his forefathers. So you can imagine, isn't it, friends, uh, this young man, this young boy, rather, in his family home, this Pharisee home, uh, being brought up with the Old Testament stories that are being told to him. And it's been told about the great deliverances, how God delivered uh, the people, uh, the Hebrews from uh, Egypt through uh, Moses, and how God delivered the, the Jews again through Esther. And he had heard about the glory of us, King David's time and King Solomon's time when people in their thousands will come uh, to Israel and Palestine to find out about uh, and to hear the wisdom and to see what God was doing. He was familiar with all those Old Testament uh, stories. In fact, he, was, he would probably uh, knew, knew, knew about them uh, in, in both uh, Greek uh, and uh, Hebrew as well. Great portions of the, the scriptures he would have to learn uh, in, in both languages. And he, he learned it, uh, we could say, by heart and kept these things. Again, all going to be very helpful for him in his coming ministry. He was zealous, he tells us, for the traditions of his fathers and his forefathers. And uh, we can well understand why uh, the, he, or rather, he could well understand why the Pharisees opposed the way and why they opposed him in due time. Because he, he was also of the same ilk. He was also once so zealous uh, for those traditions and refused uh, to give them up. Well, we know then that Paul uh, was a citizen of Tarsus and possessed this uh, Roman uh, citizenship. Now this, friends, was not a right uh, for all who were born in Tarsus. This was a, a privilege uh, that had descended to him from, a f from his father, more likely. Uh, if you were born there, you're not immediately entitled uh, to it. How did his father get that uh, Roman citizenship? Well, we, we're not entirely uh, sure, but someone has suggested that perhaps it's as a reward uh, for services uh, that he did to an influential uh, Roman uh, governor or Roman, not governor, but a Roman uh, uh, commander or something. Perhaps somebody else has suggested perhaps he made tents for a Roman uh, in the times of war, which would have been a need. And uh, this city, Tarsus, well, he was well known for its tent making, and Paul was a tent maker, and uh, all these things, he may have done this service for this influential Roman, which ended up with him being conferred with this uh, Roman citizenship. Well, Paul uh, had this passed on to him uh, by birth, and it really was a tremendous privilege for Paul. And again, friends, you see, even in this, this is God's part, God's providence working uh, for Paul because he would need that uh, in the future times. He was able, because he held that, as it were, certificate, he was able to do so much more uh, for God 
than an ordinary Jew uh, could have done. And more than likely, he would have perished. His life would have been taken from him unless he had held up that, uh, I'm a Roman citizen, you, you can't do this uh, to me. Uh, so with God's aid, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, this, uh, this, was, this happened. Well, we know very little about the rest of his family. Uh, he mentions a sister uh, and some kinsmen. Uh, many people thought he was married because uh, he, it was almost rather unknown uh, for a Pharisee to be single. In fact, every Jew was expected uh, to be married. And when Paul says to the Corinthians, also in the climate of uh, the coming persecution for the church in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, he encourages people to be like I am. Uh, he, was, he was at that time, we know, without a wife. Uh, and some believers think, well, he, he was a widower at this particular time. And he, he wasn't burdened uh, with having a family, and he didn't want other people to be uh, burdened with all the, the troubles and the difficulties that would come about through having a family in the time of uh, persecution. So some people draw from that that perhaps uh, he, he was a widower. Uh, he seems to have come from a wealthy family uh, to, be, to have these uh, privileges which he, which he had, especially the private education uh, as a Jew when he went to uh, Jerusalem, all that indicates to a certain degree that he may well have been, uh, his family may well have been a wealthy uh, family. And, uh, but it didn't, <laughs> it didn't affect him when he became a believer because he is quite willing uh, to go without it and to give up everything uh, that uh, came that way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it was a custom, as I saw intimated already, for the Jews, uh, among the Jews, that all boys should learn a trade. And uh, it was no different uh, for the Apostle uh, Saul, Paul. It was an indication amongst the Jews of their belief uh, in this work ethic that had been passed on from the time of the Garden of Eden, uh, right there where the Lord set Adam and Eve uh, to work uh, in the garden. And one of their rabbis uh, said this, Rabbi Judah, his name is. Uh, he said, he that teacheth not his son a trade does the same as if he taught him to be a thief. So all uh, boys were learned uh, some trade or other. And, and Paul was brought up uh, as to, uh, brought up to be a tent maker. And uh, as we said, ancient Tarsus, well, it was well known for its long black-haired goats and its trade in tents. So there would have been a lot of uh, activity for him, a lot of opportunity for him uh, to become experienced in this particular trade. Again, something uh, of God's providence is here because in the future, when as that apostle and he didn't want to show, be accountable to churches in the wrong way. Didn't want them, when he was preaching the gospel to them, to think he was doing it uh, for financial gain. He, he said he refused to take money, and uh, he uh, worked himself. Probably worked, I don't know, during the night as a tent maker, and during the day preaching, or vice versa, I'm not sure. Uh, but he used it to support uh, himself uh, and uh, others. And then... Uh, in, order not to, in order to give a good example uh, to others, uh, he also said about working uh, so that others may learn not to 
sponge of the church's uh, charity. Uh, he encouraged by his own life people to go out to work. Oh, our, our, our chancellor of the exchequer is trying to get people to go to work, isn't he? Uh, this week he's been trying to push people into working. Well, he could do with more polls you know, as an example of, of working uh, for uh, getting, uh, getting into work and being uh, zealous in it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about his uh, education. Uh, his education, well, what can we say about that? Well, of course, at home, as parents, those strict parents, they would have been teaching him. But uh, quite likely as well, he attended a Jewish school that would be attached to the synagogue. Definitely, he wouldn't have gone, been exposed to a, in a Gentile school and Gentile teaching. Uh, the Greek, the Greek schools. That would have be, be a definite no-no. Uh, but because of the influence uh, he was kept from, definitely he wouldn't have gone to the theatres, which were in uh, in, uh, in Tarsus as well, uh, because you know the games, the sports they were played. Well, the the runners would the, would run naked around, and one dare not think that uh, his parents would have exposed him uh, to such an environment. But uh, it, in going to school, um, it was quite common for an attendant, attendant uh, to take the child to the school and then bring him back home. Again, this is something that you see in Galatians uh, chapter 3 and verse 24, where Paul talks about, the, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. That picture maybe is in his mind here, bringing at, at the school, bringing to the school and then uh, bringing to Christ. Uh, eventually, this young man would go to Jerusalem and we see that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel in Acts 22 and verse 3, uh, probably around the, the young tender age of uh, 10 to 13 years old. He would be there and he would be so amazed isn't it, when he got to Israel for that first time. And he's been learning all about it. And he's, uh, he's been hearing all the stories. And he, he comes on that boat. You can see him on that ship arriving and seeing for the first time Palestine, the hills that he's been reading about, and the geography. And then he's going to Jerusalem. And he sees uh, the temple as well. And he's uh, so amazed and in awe, this young man of this religion that has become even more of a reality to him now that he is uh, in uh, the the Holy Land, as it were. Uh, his teacher, as we mentioned, is that famous uh, Gamaliel, uh, man who's even mentioned in secular history. And you remember him, how uh, he gave counsel uh, to the Sanhedrin when, this, when they didn't know what to do with uh, the apostles because they were preaching Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And they tried to stop them. And Gamaliel got up and he said, uh, be careful. Be careful what you do with, this, with these men. If it's of God, this work will continue. If it's not of God, it will fall by the wayside. These new beliefs will come to nothing. It was Gamaliel who said that. Well, what would Paul, uh, Saul uh, have learned? Uh, in one sense, uh, only the, the Old Testament. That was it. <laughs> That was the main thing that they discussed, the, the Old Testament. No other books, but of course, the traditions would come in 
and the rabbinical opinions on scripts, he would be very familiar with all of these. You remember how the Lord, as a 12-year-old, uh, went into the temple and he was asking and answering uh, questions uh, with the people there, the, the, the Pharisees, the priests there. And uh, all Pharisee uh, training uh, was along these lines of asking and answering questions. Our studies today are very much book-based and uh, reading and writing. Theirs was a lot more uh, oral-based and communication, asking questions. Uh, so he would have learned uh, many of the portions of scripture in Hebrew and Greek uh, by heart. And the, lecture, the lectures and the learning process, uh, we could say under Gamaliel, uh, which is quite common, would have been something along uh, these lines. Gamaliel would have proposed a text from the Old Testament or a subject, and then he would guide uh, the discussion of it. Uh, he would propose questions and then give answers. He would introduce uh, difficulties and then he would solve them. Uh, he would get them, he's getting them thinking a lot about the text. Uh, he would solve the difficulties of the listeners themselves and the, the errors that they, they would say, come up with. It all took place in a, a sitting environment. They would sit, they would sit on the floor uh, and, uh, and, uh, and listen and, and, and discuss. And uh, many would take part uh, in this, uh, this classroom-like environment. He would use uh, illustrations, he would use analogies and parables and even anecdotes uh, to get his message across and often be quoting his uh, predecessors, uh, all trying to throw as much light as he could as possible upon the text that they were uh, discussing, as much as his learning and genius could supply. It was very much, we could say, like a catechism class. Uh, where there was set answers and uh, questions, but it wasn't only uh, the it wasn't only the, he who asked the questions. The students also could ask uh, their own questions as well, and uh, they could interrupt and, and propose a question or uh, mention a difficulty, and that then he would uh, answer uh, these things. So it's all trying to get the meaning and the importance of the text. So it's an interesting way of learning. And this kind of instruction is also uh, common in the synagogues. It passed on uh, to the synagogues where the speaker uh, in the synagogue, he would comment on the Old Testament and then he might be interrupted by uh, listeners with, uh, with questions and uh, all this is what we saw even uh, would be happening when our savior as a 12 year old sat and answered those questions uh, amongst the, the, the elders there in the temple uh, while his mother and father didn't know where he was and sought him uh, sorrowing. Well, you see this kind of questioning in Paul's uh, writings. Uh, so many times he commences his arguments with a, a question. What advantage then hath the Jew? What shall we say that Abraham our father hath found? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? His questioning. Hath God cast away his people? How are the dead raised up? Who hath bewitched you? All these and many more 
uh, he uses as his uh, launching pad into an, an argument or an explanation. Well, friends, as we come uh, towards an end, uh, what sort of a person uh, was uh, Saul of Tarsus before he was converted? Well, he certainly was one who came across as if he knew it all, a uh, very strict and conceited person, uh, but uh, also acted perhaps in a superior way. We know he was zealous, uh, he was sincere, but he was also a respectable person. He was evangelistic for his Judaism. That will play a part, isn't it? Fervent to make uh, converts to Judaism, and he became a, a, a Christian. He was fervent to make converts uh, to Christ. Uh, he was certainly self-righteous, saved by works, proud of his gains, proud that he'd been taught by Gamaliel, the top teacher in the top class in the country. Well, he had a lot of credentials, and uh, he was glad about them all. And uh, we could say other things. He was, a, he was trusted in so many ways, a dependable person, man of letters, tireless in his work, intellectually brilliant, but at the same time, a man who could work uh, with his hands. And we can be sure, friends, that even before his conversion, the Apostle Paul was an extraordinary man with tremendous talent and with an education that was one of the greatest in the ancient world. Such a strong character he had uh, and a consistent one, such a zeal for his religion, uh, above all, a mind filled with scripture, a habit of prayer, temple worship, devotions, a creationist, and a believer in the supernatural. A man of a worldly experience. Uh, he knew all about so many different areas, about travel and commerce and agriculture and law and armies and so on. He knew about the weather. He knew how to sail a boat and when not to sail, as we see in Acts 27. And uh, he was also a family man. He was a people man. He wasn't a hermit who lived uh, just in his books. He was immersed in the knowledge of this world. And what a vast knowledge he had of, its, of the world and its people. A religious person and a worshiper, but the thing about him, he wasn't born again. He wasn't as yet converted. He was still far off from God. He was ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth of the Savior. And we'll look at that God willing, next week. But as we, we close, there's one more thing about his uh, preparation. His ignorance led him to persecute the church of, of Christ, the followers of Christ. Yet even in this persecution, we see the hand of God preparing him. For it's because of what he did, it subsequently stirred him up with an undying desire to atone for his cruelty after he became a Christian. He saw how badly he had treated the saints, and in a sense you could say he wanted to make up for it uh, as much as he could post his conversion. And also it qualified him uh, as, as the chief of sinners to preach the gospel of God's redeeming grace. God has saved me, such a terrible, awful sinner who persecuted, he can save you. There is no sinner beyond his grace, his saving grace. He is, here am I, look at me. And that was the theme of his letters. Oh, friends, one more thing. <laughs> Thank you, you've been very patient. 
I know I'm a bit long uh, tonight, but this is the introduction. <laughs> you know, I'm not a Puritan. If I was a Puritan, I'd be here another hour. <laughs> uh, now, uh, one more thing about Paul. One great question that we always ask when we think of Paul before his conversion, and that is, what effect uh, did the death of the martyr Stephen have on him? What effect did it have on him? Do you remember he saw it, Stephen being stoned, and he saw that the clothes were laid at him, at his feet? Well, it probably convicted him throughout uh, his life. Before he was converted, it made no difference to him. It didn't, didn't bother him. But after his conversion, it troubled him. It must have, uh, it must have haunted him uh, for the re remaining days. And it must have stirred him as well uh, to say, I did that. I did that. I played a part in that. Now nothing's going to stop me from following uh, this Savior. It spurred him on uh, to live for Stephen's uh, Savior. And it's, you remember Stephen's prayer at the end, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge when he was being stoned. And uh, Augustine uh, said this about him, the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. The church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. And there's a lot of truth, I think, in that. Thank you. Amen.